What's up, everybody? Nick Yoksic here. Thank you for joining the Jesus Church podcast today. We hope you're blessed and come to know Jesus even more as we dive into His love together. I literally have like three sermons. <laughs> I'm not going to preach all three, but I have three sermons that I've just been sitting in where I'm like, Lord, where do you want this to go? I don't really understand what you want to do tonight. I had one I shared with the team downstairs. I was like, I'm pretty sure this is it. And like, I'm feeling the Lord be like, nope. <laughs> so there's a, there's a word I want to share with you guys tonight. Um, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I know which one it is. Okay. Um, hit word. Woo-hoo. Um, thank you, Jesus. I want to I talk to you guys about the gospel, but a little bit different than maybe how you've always heard it. Um, for many of you, you've heard the story about God loving the world and sending his son to die on the cross to save mankind, and that if people believed in Jesus, that they would be saved and have eternal life. For some of you, that meant that was a ticket out of hell. And so you said yes to Jesus, but you didn't say yes to Jesus because you live like hell. So you said yes to get me out of hell, but I'll keep living like that's my home. And then for others of you, you you're, you've heard this a thousand times, and you're like, dude, there's no way this is legit. Basically, the Bible preaches everything that other religions preach too. Come on, Nick, what's, what's the real difference here? And I'll be honest with you guys, I don't blame you if you've done either of those things, because I did both of those things. (laughs) I I did it where I said yes to Jesus to get out of hell, but still lived like that was my home. I I just got to a point in my life where I was like, man, we just preach the same thing that everybody else preaches. Be good, don't hate, do good things, basically, and then I can get into heaven, right? Like that, that's, that's what we legitimately were dealing with. It was almost like an apathy towards this whole idea of Christianity. So I lived both. And I, th- I think that's honestly because of a failure on the church's part or preacher's parts or evangelist's part. It's a failure on the church's part to actually give you the whole gospel, to give you the 30,000-foot view. Why did God need to send Jesus? Why did Jesus need to die? That seems a little weird. Why was God so hell-bent on getting Jesus killed? Who would do that? That's not a God I want to serve. I've heard all these guys. Like, I, this is the culture we grow up in right now. So if you're a Christian and you're like, man, I'm so confident in this thing. Yeah, come on, Jesus. Yeah, let's go. Some of this stuff may actually be new for you because you've never heard it. It's just never been preached. Or the environments that you've been, just, they don't preach it. For some of you, you flat out have never heard the whole gospel. You don't know what it is. You think it's Jesus' death, resurrection, these guys are crazy, they just believe this stuff, all right, I'll just be a good person. That, that's literally what you believe. So I want to take a step back, 30,000 foot view, and I want to share with you the full gospel. Because in the scriptures, Paul, if you don't know who Paul is, he's an amazing disciple of Jesus, loves Jesus. He was a horrible man, did horrible things to the church first. <laughs> He used to kill Christians, he used to imprison them, he used to do really, really bad things to Christians. And then he met Jesus on a road. And Jesus said, why do you persecute me? Woo! It's quite the wake-up call. It was so alarming, it made him blind. <laughs> it was so bright, he was like, he lost his eyesight for three days. And then God speaks to another person, another Christian in another area, and says, go to this town, Paul's there, go pray for him. And he was like, are you sure, God? That guy's locking up people. I really don't want to walk into the lion's den right now. God's like, I choose who I choose, and I'm going to show Paul how much he must suffer for this gospel. So he shows up, prays for Paul. Paul gets healed. Scales literally fall off of his eyes. These aren't figurative things, guys. It fell off. I can't even fathom what scales would look like falling off eyes, but ugh. But scales fell off. <laughs> Paul can see, and Paul starts serving the Lord, and he becomes one of the most unstoppable evangelists in the history of the church. He wrote almost the entire New Testament. I mean, just a powerful, powerful dude. So that's who Paul is. So Paul, always when he would share the gospel, gave the full picture. So I'll 
let me, let me start with this. How do you know if it's the full picture or not? If I ask you, where does the gospel begin, and you say Matthew 1, I need to rewind a little bit. It actually begins in Genesis 1. The gospel begins at the very beginning of time. It, this isn't a story that someone made up to get a bunch of people to believe in something. This, what I'm about to share with you, this story has actually changed people's lives. There's something supernatural that happens behind that. There's something different. It's unseen. It is unrecognizable and unknowable. And you go, wait, how, how you were doing this and now you're not? What? You were, you were sleeping with everyone who had legs and now you're not? You're, you were drinking like a sieve, man. Like you couldn't, you couldn't go a single night without going out with your buddies and drinking for hours. Now you're not? It's because the story has power. There's something behind it. I'll tell you right now, it's a person that's behind it, and he's been there since day one. So I want to take the 30,000-foot view, because I want to start with why Jesus needed to come first. Because for some of you, you've been believers for some time, and you might be rolling your eyes thinking, yeah, 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 he came because we sinned, and you know, we're rotten, and we deserve death, and blah, 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 you know. That's, that's the uh, very common response I've gotten. But I really want to encourage you guys to stay checked in for a minute here. Because what I'm teaching you, again, many Christians have honestly never heard or been taught. And it's because for generations, the church has just assumed that everyone sitting in here is saved. We've just assumed it. So we stop sharing our story. We stop sharing the gospel. So let's start from the very beginning. You guys ready for this story? It's a beautiful story. It's, it's like my, it's my favorite story on planet Earth. Here we go. There were three events that occurred in Genesis that made it necessary for God to send Jesus. Let's, let's talk about those three events. The first one is one that you've definitely heard about, but maybe you don't know what it was about. It's called the fall. Okay, this event happened in Genesis 1, 26 through 2, 3. But we're going to read Romans because it actually sums up pretty well what the fall actually accomplished. Okay, so we're going we're to take a, take a step back here and just imagine there's this beautiful garden that has been created. So God, God created everything, okay? He created the whole world, beautiful everything. He's, he's speaking it into existence. And for many of you, that's even hard to believe because you've been taught this idea of evolution that it has to be like this. God used millions of years. I'm like, I'm telling you right now, when God speaks, things happen. Even today, when God speaks, it happens. It does not delay and doesn't take a long time. It doesn't take millions of years to flesh out. When he speaks something, he means it. He's very purposeful. Here's the cool part. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little nugget here first. In Genesis 1, God says, let there be light. Pause. A lot of you know that verse. Did you know Jesus is in it? He's in it. Why? Because Jesus is declared in John 1 as the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Okay? When God speaks, that's Jesus. His Word is Jesus. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, and the Spirit of God hovered above, uh, over above the waters. And then God said, Jesus, right there, let there be light. So when Jesus promises you life and life abundant, he's not talking out of his you-know-what. Because he was there when light was made. Because he enacted it through the Holy Spirit at the beginning of time, as soon as his father spoke. Let there be light. Done, Father. Now God creates everything. And the most amazing part, he creates this garden. Now, in a lot of ancient texts, you're going to read about gardens and these things where gods would walk amongst the gardens. And here's why. Life was really crappy for a lot of people, like really bad. <laughs> Life and death was pretty much every day. So you always imagined and pictured that the gods would walk in gardens. You'd always imagined they had gardens. They always had like these really nice places that they lived and the rest of us lived in the crud. That was the ancient belief at the time. Here's what's different about God. When he made that garden, 
he didn't just live there himself. Because God created mankind out of the dust. Now, again, for many of you, you've read this as figurative. I'm going to really challenge you right now to start reading this as God actually did something. And he actually came into this earth, and he got down into the dirt, and he actually formed a man out of dirt. And the Bible says he breathed his breath of life into his nostrils, and the man was alive. And then God created a woman to be with the man because he said it's not good for men to be alone. Now, that is not some text for all you dudes to justify being a jerk to a woman. Okay? It ain't. Because I'll tell you what, God didn't pick a very nice spot to create woman. He could have created a woman out of dirt, but he didn't. He took a rib out of Adam and formed a woman. Why? You were created for intimacy. Husbands and wives were created for intimacy so that when Eve and Adam were one, they did it, (laughs) when they were together, what were they doing? Declaring their oneness. Declaring, I came from your rib. I came from you. I want to be close to you again. I want to draw near to you. And the man knowing you came from me, I will protect you because this is a vulnerable area. And I want to guard you and keep you and love you and treat you like the queen you are. But here's, here's the part. God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. Can you fathom that? Walking with him. Like, like I'm not talking about an ethereal experience, a physical God that's standing there and like walking with you. And you can, you can actually sustain it, like you're not burning up or anything like that. Like God is walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. There is a beautiful relationship that has occurred. And the, the purpose of what God has done in this moment is he wants Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply because he wants them to subdue the earth. Why? He wants, to, he wants them to reign earth. He wants mankind to actually rule the earth and do it in union with him. I mean, how beautiful is that relationship? He didn't need to do that. He's God. But yet in that moment, he actually creates man and woman, and then he, he says, I'll just walk with you and let's, let's rule together. I'll give you dominion over the earth. It's all yours. And unfortunately, There's a moment that happens in the fall where Adam and Eve walk away from God. And there are two trees in this garden. And again, you guys have treated this, uh, most people have treated this very figurative. There's two trees, and you know, it just represents stuff. There's two trees in the garden. There's one of the tree of life. When you eat it, you live forever. It's pretty cool. And then there's a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Pay attention to those words. The knowledge of good and evil. So Adam and Eve are walking through the garden, and they've been told by God, you can have all the fruit in the garden, you can't have that fruit, the knowledge of good and evil. And so Adam and Eve are walking in the garden, they walk by this tree, I'm sure they saw it a bunch. And there's a serpent that begins to speak to them and say, did God really say? It's the biggest lie of the enemy. Did God really say? Huge lie. Why? I want you to doubt the one that made you. I want you to really question if God was actually real and transparent with you. Did he really say that? And there's an exchange that occurs, a conversation that occurs where Eve begins to almost debate with the serpent. And the serpent convinces her to eat from the tree. Now, Eve wasn't handed the apple or the fruit or whatever it was. She wasn't handed that. She looked at it and she said, it looks good. And it looks tasty. It'll fill my tummy. Remember how we talked about there's this void inside? It's because in that moment, we decided as mankind, I don't want you, God, to fill that for me anymore. I want to fill that myself through my knowledge of good and evil to make my own decisions of what is good and what is evil. How many of you know that the word good is extremely relative? Extremely. I know a lot of people that have justified good throughout our entire history of mankind that was very, very evil, but called it good. And so they ate from the tree, and then God said, 
ah, you can't stay in this garden. Why? Because I don't want you to be stuck in here eating from that tree of life forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, never dying when sin has just entered into your heart. And I know what sin will do. It's going to corrupt you. Can you imagine a Hitler who never died? Can you? Thank God he lived for only like whatever, 40, 50 years. Like, thank God it was only that amount of time. But can you fathom people that never died and were full of sin? Can you fathom that? That's like horrifying to think about that. And and, and in that moment, God didn't kick him out of the garden because he ticked at him. He kicked him out because he wanted to save them. I don't want you to live here and die and eat from that tree forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and never be redeemed back to me. So they hid from God. There was shame and condemnation. This, is, this has been the MO of humanity. We are ashamed and condemned. We don't want to go near God. We don't want to come near him. Jesus is described as light. When Jesus comes near, his light shines and it reveals darkness. And we're like, no, 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 we like our darkness. I, I like what's inside of here. I don't, I don't want to expose it. Why? I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want my friends to see me like this. I, I don't want I don't, I don't to get rid of it. It makes me comfortable. It makes me safe. I feel okay in this space. Don't come near me. So he removes them from the garden. Instantly now, redemption is necessary. It had to happen now. But who could possibly redeem mankind? Because mankind had the keys to everything. Full union with God. Full connection with God. It could have had everything and threw it away for the knowledge of good and evil to rule oneself apart from God. It doesn't take very long for that fruit to to bear out. Adam and Eve have two children. Cain and Seth, they both bring an, uh, uh, um, wait, what did I say? Abel. Sorry, Cain and Abel. Seth is the new son that comes in. <laughs> Cain and Abel, I apologize. Cain and Abel, they bring offerings to God. God smiles on the offering of Abel and doesn't smile on the offering of Cain. So what happens inside of Cain? He becomes jealous, envy, strife pride, he starts becoming angry with his brother. And, and it's so funny because in that moment, God even speaks to him. In the, in the midst of that. And he still ignores him. And so what does Cain do? I know what I'll do. I know the knowledge of good and evil. I'll kill him. That way God has to like my offering. Because he doesn't have another choice. So Cain kills Abel. And right there, that is sin bearing its fruit out. Because the wages of sin is death. In Romans Three, I'm just going to read it to you real quick here. There's this little excerpt. It, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty intense when you read it. You don't hear it preached a lot in churches because uh, it's just intense and people don't feel good when they hear it. Um, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good. There is... Yeah, no one who does what, what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. They lie with their tongues. They intentionally trick people with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That passage, it lumps all of humanity into that passage right there and says, humanity's in trouble because they have rebelled. They refuse to connect with God. They refuse to listen to him. No one even cares. No one even wants to seek God. No one actually wants to know him. They just want to do what they want to do. But then if you skip a little bit down, all of a sudden the redemption starts showing up in verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. What's he saying? There was this moment in the garden where Adam and Eve, because they hid, because they sinned, because they did all this stuff, now there's this other thing that starts getting introduced, which is the law. And the law is introduced to start differentiating between what is good and what is evil. But the problem with the law is it didn't actually make anyone good. (laughs) It just revealed evil. It just revealed more bad things. It revealed more awful things inside of people. How many of you know the law wasn't actually given to make people righteous? It was actually given to show them that they're human and they need God. That was the purpose. 
So he tells them, apart from the law, righteousness has actually shown up, and it's shown up through Jesus. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All have sinned. All have fallen short. Sometimes we think that if I, don't, if I do nothing bad on the outside, then God won't see it. But the very intentions of your heart, the very thoughts that you think apart from God, they're not good, and he sees them. And that's a result of the fall. So there's a second thing that occurs in Genesis. This one we really don't talk about because it's super weird. And most Christians don't want to touch it with a 100-foot pole. Some of you, like, dive in because you love this topic. <laughs> We're going to go to Genesis 6. Yeah, see, honey. <laughs> yeah. This uh, has been severely jacked up by years of Christianity, so I'm going to try to undo a lot of that jacket upness, but I'm going to call this the rebellion. So after the fall, mankind is outside the garden, no longer has relationship and communion with God. Okay, there's, 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 there's not this communion connection. Now you have to, men have to work the ground, they have to go sweat. Women, when they give, have babies, it's, it's painful, it's not, it's not enjoyable anymore. <laughs> I'm going to assume that it was supposed to be enjoyable in the garden, so I don't know. <laughs> but my wife, said, my wife and I have two kids, so uh, she had like a really peaceful second birth. Okay, don't go there, Nick. Okay, the rebellion. Um, Genesis 6, 1 through 7. So... And only a couple thousand years from the fall, the earth has become so corrupted by sin and through the infiltration of demonic spirits, the sons of God creating offspring with humans, they're teaching them all kinds of wickedness. So in a very short period of time, the earth is horrible. So John, or, uh, Genesis 6, when mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth, both in those days and afterward, when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. Sounds mysterious. Nephilim, powerful men, giants, no one ever taught this in the gospel. Here's what's happening in this moment. The sons of God are, some people have debated this, but I'm, I'm just, I just want to share with you what I believe the original text was speaking of. <laughs> some people want to debate with me on this one, but just hear me out. The sons of God were actual angelic beings, heavenly beings that were in the presence of God from the very beginning of time. And they were with God and they were with him, and they looked upon mankind and said, ooh, she's hot. I want her. And in Jude, they actually talk about how they actually took off their form. They actually changed their form. They actually shifted it from being heavenly, glorious bodies in the presence of God to something else. Why? So that they could sleep with women on earth. That's the rebellion. Now, what started happening Mankind and these things started creating new creatures, and these new creatures were called Nephilim. Nephilim uh, actually means fallen ones. Yeah, means fallen ones. Now, you've heard the Greek mythology, right? Hercules and um, uh, Achilles. Uh, you, know, you hear about these guys. I mean, they're, mm, they're powerful. Some actually argue that those, that mythology actually stems from this period of time in the Bible. That there's a rebellion that occurs in this moment and actually produces men who are powerful. But here's what starts happening. That those angels, those things start teaching mankind how to form weapons and how to do war with each other. So now sin has a weapon. Now sin has a purpose and a point and a direction. War against each other. And the earth became so corrupt, so horrible, so awful that God almost wiped out everyone. And just said, I can't even be with them. I can't be in them. I have to withdraw. 
And then the last thing that happens in Genesis, so I, I want you guys to get this full picture because the redemption is so powerful. I mean, it is. So keep that in mind. Sons of God, angels, other beings that were in heaven with God came to earth and actually slept with women and created new things, okay? So keep that in your mind because it actually, God's redemption of that is nuts. It is bananas, okay? Babylon, or the Tower of Babel. This is in Genesis 11. What happens? Mankind decides to come together, settle in a, in a little uh, valley, and they're like, let's build a big old tower that reaches into the heavens, and let's build a big old city, and they start working together. Why? Because they all speak the same language. So they all can start working together, and they start doing more stuff together, and they start uh, 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 participating in, in, in more activity together that could lead to more and more and more sin and pride in the world. So what does God do? He says, I have to go and confuse their languages and spread them out throughout the earth, because if they continue like this, they'll accomplish anything. And he's not talking about like they'll become gods. or they'll, He's literally saying they'll destroy the earth. They will. They'll ruin it. They'll destroy it. Now remember that. They were speaking all one language. He came in and divided them. He spread them out. Okay, so we talked about three things that occur in Genesis, three events that are very, very important to what Jesus accomplished. You have the fall, you have the rebellion, and you have Babylon, okay? So languages get scattered. Um, they start getting dispersed. And here's, here's this crazy thing that happens in Deuteronomy 32.8. I'm not even going to ask you guys to open your Bibles to this because it is so poorly translated. It is, it is awful. Um, but if you actually go and look at these passages in Hebrew, what occurs is God divides the nations and gives them their inheritance according to the number of the sons of God. Most of your texts are going to read the uh, sons of Israel. Here's the problem with that. Israel didn't exist. When that was happening. Here's, here's why it was translated like that. You can go look this up yourself. There's a curse that a rabbi spoke. Oh, it was after Jesus, I think. or Yeah, I think it was after Jesus. He spoke this curse and he said, anybody who translates that passage as sons of God, a curse be upon them. So the scribes are like, well, I'm not getting cursed. <laughs> sons of Israel it is. Like, <laughs> Did it break? No, it didn't. Oh, thank God. We just got this back, you guys. <laughs> I'm like, whoo, Jesus. Anybody who messages it like that, curses on you. So scribes start changing it. But then we got the Dead Sea Scrolls, these really cool scrolls. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go look it up. It's insane. And there's this entire passage in there, and it's translated as, ready? Sons of God, not Israel. So the oldest manuscript we have says it's the sons of God. Who are the sons of God? The angels of God. The and it's from here that we get the idea of principalities, powers of darkness, things that Paul starts talking about. Okay, this is so cool. I love what Jesus did. So we've got everyone has sinned, <laughs> everyone's fallen, we're under death's power, and we're under death's rule. Death has entered the world. Everyone has inherited and learned the wickedness taught at the rebellion. We were taught things, how to do war with each other, how to be horrible to each other. We were taught those things, and it's just in us. We know how to fight with each other better than we know how to love each other. Everyone is under the rulers, authorities, and the principalities. Literally, spiritual beings that rule over entire regions. So that's why you have nations that begin to rise up against nations. That's why they begin to fight with each other. There's actual spirits in that are active behind the scenes that are actually working that stuff to happen. And you can go look at this. This happens in Daniel. Daniel's praying, and he gets visited by, was it Gabriel? I think it's Gabriel. Is it Gabriel, right? Or Michael. Is Gabriel? Okay, yeah. And he says he's being held up. Held up by who? The king of Persia. Mm, was an angel being held up by a human king? No. He's being held up by an actual spirit. Pretty wild. So we get, we get this, whole, this big picture. Mankind's in one heck of a state. It's bad. It's not good, guys. We have sinned. We've fallen. We're, under, we're, we're full of wickedness. We are under this, this rulership. Stuff isn't looking good. But, oh, I love this. God does not leave mankind in this state. He preserves the Israelites. It says in Deuteronomy 32, he actually kept them as his portion. Why? Because he promised that through them, his seed would come and save mankind. That's a weird thing to say. His seed will save mankind? What the heck are you talking about, Nick? He's literally talking about Jesus. 
the seed of God, Jesus, the Son of God, is going to come through the Israelites and save mankind. All right, so you ready for the, the conclusion here? Ooh, this is, ah, I just love this so much. Because in the same way that there's this uh, uh, fall and there's all these things that happen, Jesus actually redeems every single area that we're talking about right now. So the first, the fall. What do the scriptures say? You are redeemed. You have been forgiven. God has taken care of sin in Jesus. It said the man who knew no sin became sin for your forgiveness, for your sake. So the fall, the sin, the, the pride, all that stuff. God takes care of it in the person of Jesus. Jesus gets born. He lives a sinless life. And he lays his life down on the cross. And he takes on the sins of the world. I can't even wrap my head around taking on my own sins on a cross. But the sins of the world, now I know it killed him. Really, think about that. That's why his crucifixion lasted three hours and not three days, like most crucifixions. Lasted three hours. He is crushed by the sin of the world, and he looks at his father and he says, into your hands I commit my spirit. Done. The veil is torn. Oh, man. Mm. All right, so the fall is taken care of in the blood of Jesus. He literally forgives mankind. It says, while you were sinful, while you were helpless, Christ died for you. So you didn't do anything to get this. It's called grace. You didn't do anything to get this. God did it on your behalf because he remembered the garden and he said, never again. I'm sending the new Adam. I'm sending Jesus, my son. And my son will not fall like Adam fell. He will not sin like Adam sinned. He will not try to operate out of his own pride like Adam operated. He's going to operate in full submission to me. Hebrews says he actually learned how to be obedient. God learned how to be obedient to the Father. That's, it shows you the level to which Jesus actually came to. Let's, let's actually go to Hebrews. I want you guys to really grasp what Jesus did by taking care of the fall. Um, Hebrews 2, 14. Hebrews 2, 14. Now, since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. Remember what I told you at the beginning? Who had power? The devil. Who kept people under bondage? The devil. So he destroys him and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. Woo! For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God to make atonement for the sins of the people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus became like you in every single way. He shared your flesh, your bones, your blood. I mean, really think about that. You're God. You don't want to do that. You don't, you don't want to. You, you, you're good. You're, you're, you're set. But yet Jesus says, no, no, I, I, I do want to. I lay my life down. No one takes it from me. You know that too? No one took it from him? Some people act like God killed Jesus. Oh, he needed Jesus' blood. He was going to kill Jesus. Jesus literally says, I do this on my own. No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. I mean, if there was ever a shred of pride in my life, that right there smacks it to death. I've never actually volunteered to die on someone else's behalf ever, because I'm still here. <laughs> but Jesus literally says, I, I lay my own life down so I can redeem these people from death and save them from the fall. But what about that rebellion? Oh, I love this one. This is it's my favorite. The rebellion. Angels, sons of God, they come to women, have babies with these women, and create Nephilim, create these fallen ones. 
Mary. <laughs> I could cry. Mary, sweet, humble, amazing Mary, gets visited by an angel. And in that moment, that angel doesn't come in like the sons of God came in. He doesn't come in to, to sleep with Mary to bring about Jesus. No, 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 no. He comes in and he says, you're going to bear the son of God. You're going to carry him. And she's like, I, I don't know how you're going to do that because I've never been with a man. So that's not possible. He's like, no, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And the Holy Spirit impregnates her with the Son of God, Jesus. What did he do? He officially declared himself the only true Son of God because the angel did not come to sleep with Mary. The angel just delivered the message, and it was God himself through the Holy Spirit that brought about Jesus. So Jesus, I can even feel him right now. Jesus was not conceived in sin like in the rebellion. He was conceived by the will of God in purity. And what's, just so you guys know, like in the scriptures it literally says this, that Joseph almost left Mary because she's pregnant, and he's like, eh, that's, his, that's her fiancé. So you what, if my fiancé got pregnant, I'd be like, God told you. <laughs> It'd be hard. It'd be hard to believe. It would be. It'd be really hard. <laughs> God knows this. He knows the weakness of man and our stupid brains. And so he actually visits Joseph and says, hey, don't leave her. It's true what she's saying. And Joseph still does not have relations with her the entire pregnancy. I mean, he's just... There's such a purity in what occurs in that moment in the incarnation. So God redeems you not only from the fall, but he redeems you from the wickedness that came about through the sons of God sleeping with women by not having an angel come sleep with Mary, but having God himself overshadow her in purity and actually bring about Jesus. Did you see that? I mean, that's like, whoo, that's amazing. And then what's that, that, la that last one? That last one is this, is this piece of... Um, uh, Babylon, where there's this separation and division that occurs amongst the earth. Mankind can't work together. Instead, it just starts fighting each other. <laughs> there's no unity. But what does God do? <laughs> he sends the Holy Spirit. What's the first thing the Holy Spirit does? He fills a bunch of guys who are not very smart. And they get out of their house that they're in, and they speak before those very nations the very nations that were created out of the separation and the division in Babylon, he literally, they stand out and they speak by the Holy Spirit. And every nation hears the same language, their language. And suddenly, that which was divided is now unified. That which was split is now one. That which was two is now one. I mean, come on, guys. Like, it doesn't get better than this. Now you have the body of Christ able to operate under one spirit, no matter what nationality, what language, what background. We have brothers and sisters in every nation on this earth. Why? Because God redeemed that which happened at Babylon. He redeemed that through Jesus and actually created unity in the body of Christ that could not be accomplished before that. Woo! That is stinking good. I can't think of anything else that's more exciting that you don't have to walk in this faith alone. I was listening to Jeremy Riddle, who's an amazing worship leader, and he was playing this one song at the Send, which was happening in Brazil. And I listened to the song, and I see that it's featuring this artist. I don't know who this person is, but all of a sudden I'm sitting in the car, and I'm on my way to church here. I hear Jeremy Riddle singing, and it's, it's beautiful. It's Waymaker. I'm like, woo, Jesus, Waymaker. Yes, you're a Waymaker, miracle. I mean, I was going for it. And then she started singing, and she started singing in Spanish. We've already established. I don't know Spanish. I don't know what she's singing. I have an idea what she's singing, but I actually don't because she starts doing spontaneous stuff. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. But you know what started happening? In my spirit, I began to weep. It didn't matter. I didn't understand what she was saying. 
in my spirit, I felt connected. I knew she was of God. I knew she had the Holy Spirit because she would start singing and I'd sit there and go, oh my gosh, I don't even know what she's singing. But there's something occurring in the spirit. God's heart is moved by what she's singing. What's happening right there? A unity that was lost at Babylon but has been restored through Jesus. Woo! <laughs> I love you. You're so amazing. My favorite part, just to, just to cap this for you guys right now, God's redemption of you is total and complete because what Jesus declared on that cross has a lot of power. What he declared when he was on that cross changes everything because it changed you from a fallen, rebellious, divided individual and it makes you now whole and holy Seated with Jesus, where you have access to your full redemption in him and life and life abundant. It gives you access to a spirit that submits to God, not fights him, not rebellious towards him, but actually wants to commune with him, actually wants him to speak to you and to change you and to shape you. And, 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 and then Jesus accomplished a unity that you naturally don't want to do. Look at our nation, guys. Look at our nation. We don't like unity. We say that word, but if you get to the root of it, it's not a thing. Humans don't like it. And the only thing in the world that causes people to unify, are you ready for this? Even then, it still creates division. But like, this is the only way I can really imagine it, is fear. We're both afraid of the same thing. And if either one of us steps out of line, one of us is dead. It's fear. That's how nations keep certain people in check, fear. That's what keeps them unified, fear. That's how the enemy kept you in check, fear. Amen, dude, amen. So it's from this place, guys, I just want to declare to you right now. Jesus has redeemed you completely because on that cross, he declared two words, it or it's finished, three words, it is finished. He declared that to you. Why? Because he was declaring that no longer does the enemy have hold over you. No longer can the enemy corrupt you. No longer can he divide you. You are now unified through me. You are my children. And, and, and that whole principalities thing, Nick, what happened to that? What happened to those principalities? Here's what happened to him. Oh, man, I love God. He is like, he's funny, man. He does funny stuff. I'm like, dude, you didn't have to do that, but that's hilarious. Uh, um, Galatians, let's just read it. It's really stinking funny. He literally is. He's hilarious. Okay, so Galatians 3. Um, wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm butchering this. Hold on. Galatians, is it 3 or 2? 2, 2, 3, 3, 3, 2. Come on, Jesus. Show me. Show me, Lord. <laughs> okay, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote it. Let's see how quickly Ian phrases it back to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, there is Galatians. I'm going to read that next. It's not in Galatians, though. It's the one that has to do with him actually parading us before the principalities and the powers of darkness, and we actually are paraded before them as Christ is victorious. So Christ has claimed victory in us, and what does he do to the principalities? He strips them of all their authority and power. Strips them. Meaning these demonic spirits and these things that were actually over cities and nations and stuff like that. That's why Paul, when he started preaching the gospel, was like, listen, guys, I know you built all these altars to these gods because you don't want them to be ticked off with you. I just want to let you know, God actually stripped them of all authority so they can't really do anything to you anymore. Do you want to hear about the God who stripped them? Do you want to hear about the God who actually embarrassed them? Do you want to hear about the God that redeemed you from them? It's like I say the same thing to you. There's gods in this world. You have gods in your life. There, there are gods of alcohol. There's gods of money. There's gods of greed. There's gods of, of power. There's gods of sex. There's gods all over in this nation that we worship, and we give them a ton of power. We give them a ton of authority. We give it to them. They don't take it from us. We give it to them. And I'm here to declare to you, they were actually stripped of all their power and authority and rulership over you, and now you get to cross over from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. You get to actually cross over from a kingdom where you are bound by addiction, bound by fear, bound by brokenness, bound by depression and anxiety. You, you actually get to move from that into a kingdom of light where you get life abundant. You actually get to be seated with God in heavenly places. That's nuts. You're not even dead yet. 
<laughs> you're not dead. You're not in heaven yet. And yet you're seated there. See, and, and, and Scripture is full of these things that talk about the not yet and the already. You know what I'm talking about when I say that? You are already redeemed. You are already sanctified and being sanctified. <laughs> it's a weird, you'll, you'll find both passages. I'm not making this up and I'm not trying to create a new doctrine. There are two passages that are complete opposites. You are sanctified and being sanctified. What does that mean? You're being transformed in the image of Jesus, but you already look like him. That which is not, but already is. And that's what God did. He declared through Jesus, I love you, I want you, and I will redeem you. Belief in Jesus means laying down myself, clearing out the rooms, giving it to him, repenting and saying, I don't want that crud anymore. I don't want that life anymore. I don't want the old self anymore. I don't want that thing that has been doing nothing but creating that cavity inside my stomach to get bigger, creating that, that dryness on my tongue where I, I can't get it quenched. I don't want that anymore. You know what I want? I want fullness. I want wholeness. I want to be complete in Christ. So I'm going to look at that junk that the enemy has tricked me into thinking is okay, and I'm actually going to abandon that and start following you, Jesus. And you know what? Something supernatural occurs. How many of you know you can't just work your way into heaven? That's not what he did on the cross. He actually accomplished something that you were included in, which again, this is bizarre, guys. When you say yes to Jesus, you are included in his crucifixion. Wait, what? When Paul says that, he says this phrase over and over and over, in Christ, you were crucified. In Christ, you were raised from the dead. That word in Christ, he's not talking about a figurative Christ. He's literally saying, in the literal Christ, you were crucified. In the literal Christ, you were raised from the dead. Which means, I mean, just imagine it like this. Jesus is on that cross, and then you put him on like a cloak over you. And you die his death. What are you dying to? Your old self, your junk, the lies and deceptions of the enemy. You're dying to death. You're dying to the devil's right to hold death over your head anymore to hold fear over your head anymore. You die to that, and what happens? You're raised with Christ in him. And as you are raised in Christ with him, you are seated in heavenly places by the Holy Spirit, which means you have total oneness and union with Jesus. He never leaves you, and he never forsakes you. I can't name a single friend of mine that has never left me or never forsook me. Not one. And yet Jesus promises it to you. He says, I don't call you servants anymore. I call you my friends. Because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But friends, they're welcome to the table. You've been welcome to the table. And what's cool is, so that's what is and what's not yet, is that you will be raised with Christ in the end. When Christ returns to this earth, which he is returning to this earth, you know, the, 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 the rabbis for a period of time stopped teaching that the Messiah was going to come. Well, they would teach the Messiah was going to come, but they started creating mythology around him. They started making him this, like, warrior king with a, uh, uh, you know, he'd have a sword and he'd cut off the head of whatever oppressing nation was over them, the Jews. And so here comes Jesus showing up and saying, I'm the Messiah. And they're like, you don't look anything like the Messiah we've created. And they reject him. Be very careful of the exact same temptation right now to think that he's never returning. And it's just mythology, just something we made up. Jesus is coming back. He is returning, and he's returning for his bride. Do you know you're a bride? Oh, it's so good. You're so loved. You're a bride. And even though right now you may be looking at yourself and be like, man, I don't really like me. I don't like me. I don't know if I'm a bride. I don't, uh, I might be like a, a side thing, <laughs> but a bride? I don't know about that. I want to declare to you that God looked at you in the midst of your crap, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your corruption, in the midst of your fallenness, in the midst of your division, and he said, I want that one. I want her. I want him. I want them in my kingdom. I want them included in me. So Jesus, let's do this. Let's get it done. Let's save them. Let's set them free. Let's completely deliver them, Jesus. And you know what? Let's give them everything. Let's give them everything you and I have. Let's give them our glory. Let's give them our presence. Let's give them our love. And, and, and let's give them our freedom. I want to declare to you today that if you're in bondage, he's declaring you have freedom in him. The problem is, is that we often try to find freedom outside of him. We try to find freedom in other things. 
and other people, other drugs, other alcohol. And drugs don't necessarily mean heroin. It could be other drugs, literally other stuff that you were prescribed and told to take. I'm not telling you to stop taking your prescriptions. Don't do that. <laughs> listen to Jesus, okay? Don't listen. <laughs> Some people are like, Pastor Nick said, stop taking these. <laughs> I didn't say that, okay? <laughs> I'm saying don't put your faith in things that were never meant to redeem you. There's one person that redeemed you. It's Jesus. Put your faith in him. And, and for some of you, if you're in the midst of a season right now where you're walking out freedom, and you're like, it's, it's rough, it's a rough patch right now, it's not looking so hot, it's not looking so good, it's kind of flippy floppy. When I experienced freedom, what actually brought me freedom was when I took the time to just be with Jesus. I, I really mean that. That sounds really simple, like really, really, really simple, but it, it is that simple. When I was just with him, Meaning I'd, I'd go, I'd wake up earlier than my kids because my kids, they distract me. I, just, I love them, but they're like, dad, dad, dad. And I'm like, ah, no, you can't have that. Stop punching her. It's hard. I can't, it's hard to commune when that, that's happening. It's difficult, it is. So I'd wake up before my kids and I started spending time with them. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm going to be really real with you. For like the first like six, seven days, nothing happened. I'd get up and turn on worship music. I'd walk around my house with a blanket over my shoulders, and I'd just be like, Jesus, thank you so much for being here right now. Thank you, God. I love you. You're amazing. Worship you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know what happened? Nothing. Bump kiss. Bump kiss. No feeling. No goosies. No, oh, peace. Like, none of that happened for like six or seven days. But it was around that seventh or eighth day that I showed up again at his doorstep, pounding on the doors, saying, yo, I'm here to meet with you. That it was in that moment, Jesus arrived. And when he walks into your room, you know he walks into your room. And, and again, for some of you, I, I spent my whole life trying to experience that. And I'm not saying that your faith needs to be based off an experience. Because like Todd White, for instance, who's a huge evangelist, preaches a lot. He spent years in a quiet place feeling nothing. Years! He said he would hear pastors talk about uh, God showing up like a blanket. Like Bill Johnson would describe, man, when I go into the quiet place, God just shows up like a blanket over me. And Todd would be like, lay hands on me. I feel nothing. <laughs> and it was for years he, he didn't feel anything. But now Todd says it's like, it's, it's just him. They're just one. There's a oneness in there. So it's, it's not entering in for some euphoric experience. It's entering in by faith. It's entering and saying, I believe you are who you say you are. And when I show up, I believe you're also showing up with me. And, and to be truthful, guys, I probably didn't feel him for the first six or, se six or seven days because this thing was hard. It, it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't a lack of him. It was me. I, I couldn't hear him or feel him because I had been eyeball deep in sin. And this was so hard. If he would have walked in the room, I probably would have missed him. And I, I want you guys to understand that if you're just starting this out, this thing's pretty rocky. You've been in a lot of sin, and it's made you really hard, and you haven't heard God, and that's what's going on. That thing, he'll break that down. Start saying no to some sin in your life. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not talking about willpower, okay? I'm talking about when you are in a situation where you can sin, saying no in that moment, and literally saying, Jesus, I need you right now. I don't know how to do this. I need you right now. I don't, know how to, I don't know how to stop this, but I need you. Will you walk with me? This is going to be painful and uncomfortable, but will you walk with me? And I'll tell you, this thing that's hard and rock solid starts crumbling, cracking, starts falling apart. And, and here's where most people give up, is at that moment. They give up right at the cracking and crumbling because they start feeling the discomfort that they've spent their whole lives trying to avoid. They start feeling the confrontation between Jesus and themselves, and they go, oh, 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 uh-uh. Or they start hitting a point of disillusionment with God. Why would he show up for me? He's not showing up. He doesn't love me. This guy, Nick, is nuts. I mean, I am crazy, but <laughs> that's where people quit, right there, when it's cracked and rocky, right before it's soft and malleable in his hands. So if you're in that right now, I just want to encourage you, don't give up. 
Don't quit. Show up. He's a friend, and he really loves you. He really wants to be with you. And, and if you're in a space right now where you haven't given this over to him, you haven't truly given this to Jesus, I want to tell you right now, don't wait another day. I mean, literally tomorrow is not promised. I've lost friends like that overnight, gone, just dead. And people that shouldn't have died, but died. Tomorrow is not promised. Don't, don't bank on your goodness before God because I'm going to tell you right now, everything's going to be laid bare before him like it is right now. And there's one who paid for that which was the most unfair trade in all of mankind. I'll give you my life, my perfection, my holiness, my righteousness. I'll give you that in exchange for your rebellion, your lying, your cheating, your stealing, your deception, your aggression, your hatred. Give that to me, and I'll give you everything I have. Totally unfair. But that's the exchange that's before you right now. And if you're like, man, I don't even know how to do that, it's literally like this. Jesus, I give you my life. I believe you died on the cross for me to rescue me from sin, to save me from that rebellion, to unify me when I was broken. I receive you, Jesus. I believe in you right now. And I place my faith in your resurrection. Will you change me? Will you reshape me? Will you be my Lord? Will you lead me? I mean, it's not hard, guys. This isn't complicated. And then if you say something like that, Let's get baptized. Woo! I'll dunk you in water because that's partaking in his death and his resurrection. And then, and then as you do that, start reading this sucker. Man, it's full of Jesus. And as you're reading this, start actually moving your mouth and talking to God because he talks back to you. He actually speaks back to you. And then last but not least, guys, I just want to encourage you with this. Get connected with the body. Get connected with the family. If you're doing this in isolation, you're, it, it, it's, just, it's just not good. I can't tell you how many people I've watched try to do this in isolation, and then they start mixing and meddling, or they completely leave Jesus behind, or they start acting really prideful like they're the second coming. I mean, I've seen it. But it's like when you actually unify with the body, guys, you get to walk this out with a family, that you actually get to see Jesus in your life. Let's pray. Jesus. We love you so much, and we're so thankful for the redemption that you provided, that it wasn't just, let me get you out of sin. It was, let me get you out of sin, let me get you out of rebellion, let me get you out of division, and let me heal you so that you're whole, not just in the next life, but in this life. God, we just declare freedom right now in the name of Jesus in this room to anyone who is feeling trapped or burdened, and I declare freedom over them right now in Jesus' name. They no longer walk in bondage, but walk with you. Because where the Spirit is, where the Spirit of the Lord, where the Spirit of Jesus is present, there's freedom. And I also just declare a oneness over this church, a connection with you, Heavenly Father that cannot be accomplished through works and efforts and attempted achievements, but actually, but is accomplished by you through the Holy Spirit. Jesus. Um, I, I just, I speak... I speak to any demonic spirit right now that is attacking anyone in this room. In the name of Jesus, be loosed right now. Do not hurt them anymore in the name of Jesus. I see it like, it's like, it's like stabbing you like a, like, a, like a scorpion's tail, just poking you over and over and over. And I, and I hear the Lord just saying, it is making itself look bigger than it actually is. So we, we literally tell you right now, spirit, leave them alone. In Jesus' name, stop tormenting them in their dreams. Stop tormenting them at work. Stop tormenting them in all these places that they just are trying to get away from you. And in the name of Jesus, leave them right now. In Jesus' name, never come back. And Holy Spirit, I ask for anyone who that was for right now, fill them with the Holy Spirit. 
Saturate them with the Holy Spirit. Fill them up right now with a peace that they could never, ever, ever comprehend, but a peace that only comes from you right now. In Jesus' name, fill them up, God. Fill them up. Give them more. Fill them with a peace they have never comprehended. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus, and we love you so much. You're amazing and wonderful. Thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for not abandoning us when you could have, but for holding on to us and keeping us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. You can connect with us further through Facebook and online at thejesuschurchcos.com for service times and location. Thank you and God bless.